Conversations. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Medical Conversations. Tonight, we'll be talking about manganese. We're not talking about manganese, Rahul. We're talking about magnesium. Let's not confuse the listeners. They've been through enough. You can talk about (laughs) magnesium. I'm going to talk about manganese. Also joined by Rebecca. Hello. Deciding vote, are we talking about manganese or magnesium? I'm going to go with magnesium. I believe in a democratic process, so I accept that result. (laughs) We're going to open up with a little bit of a case today. It's a case of someone I actually saw at the great hospital that I work at. So this was an 88-year-old man who presented with three days of malaise, paresthesia, and diarrhea, and he'd increased his own metformin because he'd been monitoring his blood sugars very carefully and decided that he could help himself out. Um, yeah, dizziness with no vertigo-like features, some lower limb paresthesia, three days of watery stools, and other than that, was pretty okay. When he was in the ED, he went to urinary retention with 900 mils in his bladder and scored himself an IDC. In terms of his past history, he had a bit of ischemic heart disease, some CCF, type 2 diabetes, as we mentioned, on metformin, AF with a tachybrady syndrome for which he had a pacemaker in, and some reflux. And other than that, he was at home with his wife, independent, um, used to have smoke a little bit, but it's stopped now. In terms of his medications, he was on pantoprazole, metformin, atorvastatin, and some other stuff that's not really relevant. Oh, uh, he was on furosemide as well. That is relevant. That is relevant. That is very relevant. Uh, on his initial examination, he was Trousseau and Schwostek negative. I always forget which one's which. In terms of Trousseau's and Schwostek's. Mm. So Trousseau is the one where you inflate a blood pressure cuff. And the wrist and metacarpophalangeal joints flex, and the DIP and PIP uh, joints extend, and the fingers adduct. So the hand just kind of contorts in this really weird shape. It's also known as the hand of the obstetrician. And Schwastex, on the other hand, is where you tap on the side of their face, and they have some uncontrollable facial twitching. So Both signs, is the hands one. Yeah, that's right. And Schwastex is the face one. Exactly, exactly. And both signs of hypocalcemia. It's T for hands and C for face. I like it. Uh, Otherwise, the guy looked pretty good. He was uvolemic. His heart sounds were normal. The chest was clear. Um, The only other thing was that his lower limbs had a bit of a polyneuropathy, sensory polyneuropathy in a stocking distribution. So, on his bloods, and here's where it gets exciting, his corrected calcium was 1.46, with the normal range being between 2.2 and 2.6. And his magnesium was less than 0.20, or undetectable. That is dramatic. Very dramatic. Dun, dun, dun. Are you going to get a call from the lab for something like that? Oh, the lab will be There's going to be a long to-follow, and then an hour later you'll get a panic call. It's like, we've checked it four times, and it's um, real. Uh, on his radiology and his ECG, the abdo X-ray and the chest X-ray were normal, but his ECG had a prolonged QT interval at 492 milliseconds. So we thought this guy's hypocalcemic due to his hypomagnesemia and also the diarrhea that he's had. And the hypomagnesemia was due to the PPI that he was on. Remember, we said he was on pantoprazole and metformin-related diarrhea. Diarrhea is a side effect of metformin. Yep. So the plan was cancel the PPI due to the hypomagnesemia. Put him on something else. Uh, you can. We'll talk about that a bit later. Okay. If you could not ruin the surprise for others, that would be great. Um, intravenous calcium gluconate bolus and infusion, some intravenous magnesium replacement. We ordered a parathyroid hormone, vitamin D, and regular ionized calciums to check, and cardiac monitoring given how low his magnesium and calcium are. And all of the reasons for doing that will become apparent to you soon. So, so what is an ionized calcium just before we move on? So the majority of calcium is bound to albumin in the bloodstream, but an ionized calcium tells you how much of it is floating free in an ionic form. And it's really easy to get in a VBG. Yeah. 
given to you straight into VBG. So Venus blood gas. So mm. you can just check it regularly. It's good for monitoring. So whimsical little story about magnesium. The a man named Soichiro Honda, who may or may not have been related to the Honda Racing Company, designed an F1 car for the Honda Racing Company. Um, and he wanted it to be made out of magnesium oxide on the outside. So no one would drive this car for Mr. Honda, except for one guy who came forth, the second string driver. Uh, everyone thought it was a potential death trap, and they were proved right when the second string driver crashed into a wall and exploded to death almost instantly. There's some nice pictures of that on the internet if you want to see it. So, magnesium physiology. <laughs> what is awesome about magnesium, Beck? What's the most awesome fact you can think of related to magnesium? The most awesome fact? Mm. Probably that it once had a race car made out of it and exploded. That or, is pretty astounding. Or that it's a predominantly intracellular cation. Mm, that's correct. In fact, it is the second most common intracellular... Oh, the most common intracellular divalent cation and the second most common intracellular cation. So that's fascinating. that blow your mind for a while. <laughs> um, it's essential for neuro, neuro, neuronal activity and muscular activity. Um, it's also a cofactor for a bunch of enzymes, transporters, and nucleic acids. So it's pretty important. And what's the normal range, Darvel? 0.7 to 1 millimoles per litre. That's right. Outside Excuse of that. me, international listeners. I have no idea what that yeah. is in milliequivalents per deciliter. <laughs> <laughs> Whatever it is you've chosen to measure your magnesium in. <laughs> crazy Yankees. Um, so half of the total magnesium is stored in the bone, and we get it mostly from our GI tract. Uh, do you know what increases absorption in the intestines of magnesium, Beck? Cholecalciferol. That's right. One of the many tricks that vitamin D has up, up mm, its sleeve. That's correct. And it's regulated, the serum levels are regulated by the kidneys in the thick ascending limb of the loop of Henley. Um, so it's increased reabsorption by hypomagnesemia and hypocalcemia. And that's possible. a paracellular process. Mm. Okay, let's talk about some problems with magnesium. So if you've got too low magnesium, Davo, what sort of things might you expect to happen? So you said life? it was important in neuromuscular function. So you'll get problems with that. You get tetany, seizures, weakness, ataxia, nystagmus, vertigo, eventually psychosis and delirium. And that's why basically anyone that comes with kind of undifferentiated neurology, we do a CMP, calcium, magnesium, phosphate, because electrolyte disturbance is always on the differential list. This stuff is essential. Now on to something more interesting. What happens <laughs> to your heart? So arrhythmias, pretty much any kind of arrhythmia, so SVT, VT, ST, all the Ts, heart block, prolonged QT. Mm, that's correct. All right, let's give you let's take a break here to give you a little bit of history about magnesium. So in 1697, Doctor, what else was going on in 1697? Double, by the way. John Hunter discovered the lymphatic system. Is that was that correct? I just made that up. <laughs> that, would, that would have been a nice fact. Um, there was probably some revolutions going on around Europe at that point in time. Don't know about that. Anyway, Doctor Nehemiah Grew identified magnesium sulfate as the major ingredient of Epsom salt. Now, for some of you who would be aware that Epsom salt was extracted from Epsom in England and used to be used as a sort of treat-all back when we had a total of three things available to treat anything. Um, and it was used to treat abdominal pain, constipation, sprains, muscle strain, cerebral edema. I like how that last one's just tacked in there, so it's also <laughs> a muscle strain. Double, how might one think about a lack of electrolytes in the body? So the approach to magnesium is the same as any other electrolyte. So maybe you're not eating enough. You're not eating enough Epsom salt. That's an important part of the diet. Or maybe you are eating Epsom salt, but your gut isn't absorbing it. 
And then maybe you are eating your Epsom salt, your gut's absorbing it, but you're pulling it out, you're losing it through your GI tract. And the other way you can also lose it is through your kidneys. And then finally, shift between intracellular and extracellular. So we said that magnesium is an intracellular cation, but if too much of it moves intracellularly, then you can have low serum levels. So just in summary, so lack of intake or malabsorption, losses through your kidneys or GI tract, and finally, shift between the extracellular and intracellular space. Yeah, beautiful. And uh, in terms of some of the drugs or things to watch out for, so let, let's talk about intestinal malabsorption slash dietary problems, alcoholism, being vitamin D deplete, because as we said, cholecalciferol helps you uh, absorb it from the GI tract, and also PPIs increase the excretion from the GI tract. In terms of the kidney side of things, you can either have inherent problems with your kidneys like ATN or renal transplants where you need to monitor their electrolytes very carefully, or you could actually be on drugs that are increasing the loss from the kidneys. And the classic examples of those sort of drugs back would be... Furizomide? Yeah, furizomide. And, um, so loop diuretics. Yeah, that's correct. And double, another, another drug. So thiazides as well. Mm, so diuretics working at the thick ascending loop of Henle and the distal... Uh, convoluted tubules. Mm, so those two areas. Then also alcohol, cisplatin therapy, aminoglycosides. Those are pretty specific, so you will be expected to know them. Um, <laughs> treatment of hypomagnesemia. So if it's a mild, above 0.5, what are you going to do, Beck? How are you going to give this person their magnesium back? Just with oral replacement. Surgery. That's right. <laughs> First line. Um, yeah, so you can just give them something like Magmin, which is what we use in my hospital. Um, there are a few other oral preparations out there. All of them are pretty good. What about if it's severe or symptomatic hypomagnesemia, Rebecca? So you want to give it parenterally, but IM is painful, so IV magnesium. And and there's obviously a few different formulations. So you can give magnesium chloride or magnesium sulfate. But we've talked a little bit about the association with calcium, and mag sulfate can actually bind to calcium and aggravate hypocalcemia. So Mm. magnesium chloride is preferred. Yeah, so it binds the calcium, and so your ionized calcium goes down, even though it's still floating around, and that's bad because that's what determines your sort of gradient across cells. And just on a side note, giving IV magnesium, that large load there actually increases your body's loss of magnesium over the next little while. So it's important to keep giving them more magnesium because it'll drop off very quickly. I'm sure that Epsom salt miners would want you to give IV magnesium, but it's not the recommended thing to do most of the time and be controlled by those drug companies okay <laughs> so yeah you got to keep monitoring it for a few days after you're replacing it, especially in severe cases and if there are ppis causing hypomagnesemia you can swap to a histamine antagonist which is less associated with hypomagnesemia etc nizatidine also they're plagued by tachyphylaxis so mm, there you go not perfect so we have been touching a bit on hypomagnesemia and hypocalcemia. There seems to be some sort of link between these two things. If you could just explain that from first principles back, that would be great. <laughs> Quantum mechanics. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so basically severe hypomagnesemia, like we had now, gentlemen, is associated with hypocalcemia. And so rapid restoration of normal calcium levels occurs when you replace their magnesium. Um, and it's interesting because normally magnesium it works to increase your calcium reabsorption. But in severe hypomagnesemia, you get impaired parathyroid hormone secretion, which regulates your calcium serum, serum calcium levels, and reduced parathyroid hormone responsiveness. In vitamin D isn't working as well. That is correct, Darvo. Your vitamin D isn't working either. So now let's go to the other end of the spectrum and have a little party there for a while. So hypermagnesemia. What do you think the causes of that would be, Rebecca Foscos? 
So the main one would be um, renal insufficiency. Mm -hmm. And in fact, you don't see it very often without renal insufficiency. That's correct. That is correct. So if you have impaired kidneys and you get a massive exogenous magnesium exposure, like you're an exploding car that's made of magnesium, and that's just going down your throat. You've actually finally linked it. <laughs> yeah, there you go. It is connected. <laughs> or you have extensive soft tissue injury, like you're in an exploding <laughs> car, and you've sustained extensive soft wow. tissue injury. Then uh, those things can uh, increase your magnesium, obviously. The exogenous magnesium is pretty self-explanatory, but the soft tissue injuries, again, because it's an intracellular cation, um, and that will go into your serum in that situation. So the clinical manifestations of hypermagnesemia, Davos. So when your magnesium is greater than 2 millimoles per litre, you start getting vasodilation, muscular blockade. So that hypotension can actually often be refractory to vasopressors uh, slash volume repletion. So that's pretty bad stuff when that happens. You also get respiratory failure because your muscles aren't working, paralysis, coma. That all happens at greater than 4 millimoles per litre. And at greater than 10 millimoles per litre, you can have asystole. Mm. Okay, well, how would you treat someone who was hypermagnesemic, Rebecca Foscos? <laughs> um, so, I guess, firstly, you'd stop giving them magnesium. Mm, interesting, interesting technique. Um, then, then aim to remove the magnesium from the ECF. So, either by diluting it with um, vigorous IV hydration combined with a loop diuretic like furosemide, mm -hmm. and in severe cases, hemodialysis. May be required, that's right, especially if they're getting to that comatose stage or if they're asystolic, you might want to just put them on some hemodialysis. Um, so IV calcium gives a temporary improvement in symptoms. Uh, I'm not exactly sure how this works, but UpToDate seems to think that it's a... Am I allowed to say UpToDate seems to think? Absolutely, it's um, a person. Okay. All right, UpToDate, the person seems to think that it's a magnesium antagonist. So I guess that could be a stopgap measure until you uh, sort of definitively treat the hypermagnesemia. Anyway, that was our podcast on manganese, and uh, we hope you enjoyed it, and that will help you understand what's going on in future when you get abused by other interns. <laughs> All right. I think that story didn't make it in there. Oh, so. uh, well, there you go. <laughs> You're always going to wonder what that story was. <laughs> Goodbye, everybody. Goodbye. Bye.